Titus O'Reilly here to just remind you quickly of Bazaar Plus, our membership program for even more Mick and Titus, just talking nonsense. Go to the link in our show notes if you want to join up. It's Sports Bazaar. Welcome aboard, everyone. Anyone isn't happy. We call it all off immediately. The hunt for the weirdest. There you go. Can you put out a fact sheet with this? <laughs> Slide my mind. I don't. I can't <laughs> keep up. Strangers. Catastrophic, amazing, bizarre. Multiple layers of stupidity coming together. What could go wrong? Most unbelievable. It's like a Coen Brothers movie. Stories to ever occur. They're only going to get weirder from here. Get comfy, everyone. Some good, some bad. And some just bizarre, which we love. In the world of sport. How many chimneys could you do in a day? I've researched the tool. To France, not chimney space. Sports bizarre. Right, police are called in. <laughs> For the players. Dennis Rodman is telling you to calm down. Testicle soup. Can I just stop you for a second? Don't act like you've never done this. I feel like once again we've strayed away from what I've researched. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. An old couple who've got our spark back. <laughs> it's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome back to the latest edition of Sports Bazaar. We are in FIFA land. Titus O'Reilly, welcome. <laughs> we, we are uh, in FIFA land. You <laughs> have set the groundwork. You've laid it all out for us. The origins of FIFA, how the uh, confederation began, some of the early abominations. Uh, I'm still getting over <laughs> Pinochet and what goes on in Chile. Uh, but where are we now? Where, where are we coming back in for the second part? So we're really coming back here into, in 1974, you have this big election for the president of FIFA. The man that will win that election is the man we talked about before, which is Joao Havelanche, yes. who is an amazing guy in sports administration. So let's talk a bit about him because he's the one that's going to, if you want to trace back to how does a country like Russia and then Qatar get the 2018, yes. 2022 World Cups. How does it get to the point where, and all the f- corruption and yes. issues that have come around. you got to remember up until 1974, when Stanley Ruse was the president up until that point, FIFA had no money. You know, yeah. FIFA ran a World Cup that made a few million dollars, but it was like... Because they hadn't understood they what did, they, they had? It or? was an amateur organisation. They didn't want to make money. It was this old English colonial view. We're it's kind of, we're gentlemen... And rugby had this argument and, you know, soccer had it too, which was do we pay people and it's kind of vulgar if we do because there were all these rich guys running it who were like, we do this for the love of the game. Why would you ever corrupt this with money? You know, this is sounding like poor people. We don't need it. And we don't really want poor people paying it was the (laughs) thing that they really had a view of, right? So they especially didn't have a lot of interest in, you know, the black people of Africa playing it. It just wasn't something that they had any interest they in. They want to advance the game necessarily. Not really, like in their own way. So they're fighting over things like wanting South Africa to be in, even though of the apartheid thing and things like this. So this is where they're really coming at. It's okay. a very of-its-time thing. To go back, Havilland is born in Brazil on the 8th of May 1916. His parents are, are Belgian, so they've come out to Brazil. Right. Uh, so he's got this European background, but he's also very tied into Brazil, sure. grown up in Brazil caught in that whole Brazilian soccer passion and Uh, and tradition. Is it it as big as it is today? It's huge, you know. It's it's very early on from right away. His father is an industrialist and arms trader. (laughs) 
guy. So he's so running guns to Nairobi. Or he's something, running guns he? and all that sort of building guns and part of all of that. So like a legitimate <laughs> arms manufacturer, not like, you know, but dealing with some very interesting people. Okay. So he learns a bit about business from that. Haviland then goes to law school in Rio and graduates there in 1940. He's also a very good athlete. He's a big, powerful, strong, tall bloke. He uh, is an Olympic swimmer. He goes to the Berlin Olympics in 1936 yep. to compete. And again in 1956, he goes as part of the Brazilian water polo team. So he's done both as a swimmer and the polo team. He then, at the 1956 Summer Olympics, is also the chef de mission for the Brazilian delegation. So he's there becoming the sports administrator uh, as well. He's hanging around the right crowd, the right people. All he's... that sort of stuff. By 1958, he's then elected president of the Federation of Brazilian Sports, which partly runs the soccer as well. Yep. And he actually, in 1960, he becomes an elected member of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, yep. to which he stays on for over 40 years. Does anyone ever leave that They gig? never know if they can. It's, but he was the true power broker, like Summer Ranch. You remember Summer Ranch? Juan Antonio, sure. He appointed him. He, he, Summer, right? he was the power broker behind all of that stuff. And we get into why in, in a bit. So as well as building up this sporting administration career, yeah. he's participated in the Olympics as an athlete. Yep. He's getting into, he's running the soccer. He runs a taste for this. Yeah, he runs Brazilian soccer when they win three World Cups and Pelé is the big star. So he's the head of Brazilian soccer at a very successful time as sure. well. So he's building this whole thing. He's building up his own business, which is in transport and financial industries. And this is in a rapidly modernizing Brazil. So he's starting to make a lot of money. Yeah. Part of his deals is also arms dealing. He sells 80,000 grenades to the government of Bolivia, who were, current, <laughs> who were at the time under the dictator uh, Hugo Banza in 1973. A little side project. little side project. So he's doing that sort of stuff. He becomes a legal advisor and ends up owning a bus company which is the largest in Brazil, which he stays as head of even after, long after he's become FIFA yeah. president. He's still running Keeps his... That. So sure. he's got all this money coming in. He's, so he's basically running this conglomerate in Brazil as well as doing his sporting yeah. administration. So he gets business. He understands it. The thing is, there's this whole thing running through FIFA, which we might deal with it now because I don't know how you come up Fire with it, right? Which is, can you run the IOC, the Olympic Committee or FIFA, these big international yes. organisations without corruption because you're not just dealing in the first world countries where there's the rule of law. You're having to deal with Africa, Asia, South America, Central. You, you know, you, not every country you're going to run into is going to have rule of law and be run properly. Right. And there is this thing of he grew up in this place where in Brazil you didn't get anything done unless you were a bit corrupt. So there's a question of it's chicken and the egg. Well, these people morally suspect to begin with it's a way or do they life. come up in a culture where you I, i've been there their extortion is not a yeah. uncommon no nah. we were broadcasting from a flat they said you yes, can sure you can broadcast here and move all our equipment in and then they said actually you can't <laughs> so now <laughs> our equipment's in there hey, yeah. and you had to uh, pay up pay up yeah. and this i found was not an isolated incident we were paying a lot yeah. for a lot, and there was not much you could do about it. And no one batted an eyelid. And if you told someone, they just would go, yeah, yeah this what is did the you system. think was going to happen? Yeah. This is how we make yeah. – it's, like, it's like a tax or well, something. Well, yeah, I travel between like Central and – I've done all of Central America, a fair bit of South America. The amount of kind of added on fees that I knew <laughs> were just, you know. And, and because they're poorer countries too, for Western travellers there – 
they go, well, that'll be ten dollars to you. Go, all right, it's ten dollars. You don't think of it as a, but yeah. it's, but it's small so things. I, right? I understand what you're saying. They don't bat an eyelid. So I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not saying it's right what they're doing, but I also don't know. A bit of grifting is 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 part and parcel of doing yeah, business so then in you, those parts. Yeah, and then they the, deal with other parts, and they actually find it odd parts of the West and Europeans kind of high a moral. for the rules. Yeah, they kind of find that a bit odd. They, there's questions all through it where they genuinely don't get what the fuss is. They're like, this is what everyone is doing. Why are you banging on about this, right? I get you. So I don't say that to make it right, but it's no. not surprising, right? So doing business in Brazil, man, he, he had to be flexible. He had to deal with everyone, right? Yeah. So Brazil had this brutal military dictatorship in the 60s, 70s and 80s, and he made friends with the military generals. Oh, Handy, I just handy dealt to with know them. those guys. And this is despite that his family, his parents and him had grown up very close to the former president of Brazil who had been exiled by the general. So he was very flexible in going, well, you know what? He's gone. They're here. Sure. I'll deal with them. He just learned that you work with whoever's there to get what you want and that's just what you do. And he that's thought it was weird. Going about your business. This is not to say he's a great guy. For instance, one of his close associates was a criminal called Casta de Andrade who was head of an illegal gambling outfit that ran a lottery. It used pictures of animals. It was pl- very popular on the streets of right. Rio, right? This guy was a true crim. Cocaine running, murders, journalists going missing, like yeah. a full okay. gangster in Brazil. End up in jail and everything. He gave Havalange at Carnival a special VIP box worth $17,000. Havalange returned the favor by writing a character reference in 1987 <laughs> describing Andrade as amiable and pleasant, a predominant feature is loyalty. He's a good family man, a devoted friend, and it is admired as a sports administration. I authorise Castel de Andrade to use this statement as he deems appropriate. Okay. This character reference was found in his papers later on in uh, Andrade's. A special operation in 1904 discovered Andrade had a ledger book which revealed an astonishing network of bribed policemen, politicians, governors, and officials from all walks of life. Like this guy was, he was dealing in cocaine. He murdered many inconvenient figures in his life. (laughs) The judge that finally jailed Andrade described the gangster as a chillingly practical man and he was involved in soccer and sports administration. He said he wasn't a, this is the judge, he wasn't a soccer lover, he was pragmatic. The connection to these cultural icons was of use for him and that's it. It was just business, nothing else. He was a dangerous criminal. He got sentenced for racketeering in 1994. Even after that, this is 1994, Avalanche is president of FIFA by this point, had been since 1974. Avalanche yes. continued to visit him in prison. <laughs> so this is the president of FIFA's This guy I like. <laughs> he like I got feel it. he's got the right feel about him. FIFA. It gets better even years later. So he went to the 1936 Olympics, which is Hitler's Olympics in Berlin. Of course. He, years later, well after World War II and everyone knew about the Holocaust and everything, was asked, you know, what's your recollections as an athlete of going to Hitler's Olympics? He goes, oh, the first thing I remember is the organisation of the transport was perfect and the equipment and the facilities for 250,000 people were very well arranged. He said there was convenient hospitality that the Nazis provided. We had great visits. They managed to get us to listen to 700 musicians playing in the Berlin Philharmonica. He said from the start, it was just a pleasure to be in Berlin. Oh, my God. 
So this is his recollection of Hitler's, no mention of we didn't know. He just goes, yeah, it was great. Yeah, they were very well organised. Really good. I had the same sensation when I went to Berlin. I mean this sincerely, but you walk around Berlin and you see all the structures and you go, how did they not win this war? Yeah, But you just get a sense of the epic nature of empire and what they had built and what they were capable of. Yeah. And you went, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, they almost almost won. (laughs) Is still one of the most amazing things ever. Yeah. So this is Havelange. Havelange is this guy who controls Brazil. He's got this industrial business behind him. He's got money. Yes. He is running Brazilian soccer when it's got Pelé, who's the first superstar of soccer, international yeah. superstar soccer, and they've won three World Cups. So he has got all the gravitas, and he's a physically imposing man, yes. very charismatic, very likable apparently. Yes. Dominating guy. And in any room... People just go, who's this guy? And yeah. he walks in. So this is Avalanche. In the 1970s, he starts to see Stanley Rue is operating FIFA and it's amateur, it's European dominated. Avalanche looks at this and goes, this has to change. And he figures out something that is with us to this day. No one else has spotted and Rue's doesn't understand. No one understands. The simple thing to understand FIFA, Yes. one country gets one vote at the Congress to elect the president, <laughs> right? Yes. So... That just means Brazil gets one vote, but so does the Faroe Islands, which yeah. is a self-governing nation under the sovereignty of Kingdom Dart with just 54,000 people. They count as much in the FIFA Congress as Brazil. Incredible. England gets one vote, so does San Marino, which is surrounded by Italy <laughs> and has 33,000 people. It counts as one vote. This is what Havalanche figures out and people don't get. Ruse relies on the power of Europe and a bit of South America. Now, Avalanche has a bit of South America because he's Brazilian. Correct. The Argentinians does work with them and yep. all that. So he's got South America. Everyone's just impressed by the Europeans and they've run everything. He suddenly figures out the whole election math for becoming president has completely changed because by the 70s, all of Africa and Asia have gone from being colonies of Britain and the Dutch and everything to colonialism has dropped away and they've all become independent countries. The first thing a country does when they become independent in this era, the World War II end onwards, is join FIFA. To be legit, they join FIFA. FIFA has more members, more countries are members of FIFA than the United Nations. (laughs) More... Seriously. Okay. So it's it's, so it's one country, one vote. One country, one vote. So he does the maths and he figures out, hang on, Europe had over half the FIFA membership after this, uh, in 1945 when World War II. So by 1974, it had less than a third of the membership. It dropped from half to a third oh. because of all these new countries getting independence. Africa, their membership of their confederation goes from four members in that time to 37. So it goes from four votes to 37. Wow. So even today, Africa has 54 votes for the FIFA president with all the countries. Yes. Europe has 52. So Africa beats Europe just straight off. Asia has 46. So you get Africa and Asia, you basically win the presidency. Then you got North and Central America and the Caribbean. The Caribbean has more votes almost than anywhere else because it's just these tiny islands. Well, they'll come in handy. They come in incredibly (laughs) handy down the track, right? So it's like we can just use that. Oceania. And they're not partial to corruption at all, are they? They are. That, we're going to get places. into the Caribbean. It is one of the – This is the story just gets all funnier right. if we go all along. Right. South America, for example, has 10 votes. South America almost doesn't matter because it's this huge continent, but it's Brazil takes up most of it, Argentina takes up a ton. So no one cares, right? No one you cares don't have at to all. lobby that lot. No. Nah. 
So he decides, I'm not going to even worry about Europe at all. I am going to get the African and Asian countries, these new countries who have no money and FIFA don't even talk to them. Yes. I'm going to go talk to them. The head of Brazilian football, they've won three World Cups led by Pele. He goes to these African and Asian countries and goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, first I'm going to expand the World Cup. So in the World Cup, in the 66 World Cup, only one place is offered to all of Africa and Asia. So Europe takes up all the, Europe really? and South America. Yeah, so they only get so them. So they have to play off internally. For yeah, one they position. give them one place for all of Africa yeah. and Asia. So it's just South Americans and the Europeans playing in the World Cup. Yeah. He says, you know what? I'm going to expand that, guys, and give you guys all the chance to participate in the money that it will be the World Cup. Well, that right? will be attractive to those African yeah, nations. Yeah, they all go, oh, this is good. Like, you know, so that's his first thing. He says, I'm going to introduce a whole bunch of other smaller tournaments like the under-18s, the women's tournament, and you can host these and we'll pay you to host them. And all these countries go, really? Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> Keep talking. Yes. He's starting to think, well, I'm going to challenge it. So it, from 1971 to 1974, the votes in 1974 at the FIFA conference, in those three years, Havilland visits 86 countries to develop a power base amongst the soccer federations in Africa, Asia, and the Caribbean. Wow. Africa is his main focus, though. He turns up. He has his photos taken with them all. He knows all their names. Like, he's a really good operator. This he's like, how are you? You're like, he's in any country. He, he's he's like, in election mode. Yeah. He's on Rue, the Rue doesn't know these countries exist, right? He believes that, he's the old school, he believes his record as president should just hold him in Is he aware that, have a lunch. No. It's campaigning here. Not really. No, because it's not like there's no internet. He's, not a, the he's in London. FIFA's based in Switzerland. He's not even in Switzerland. He's in London, and he goes. He doesn't even campaign at all, right? Havelanche shows up with the Brazilian national team or Pelé as often as not in Africa. So not only does he show up, he goes. You might not guns. know me, but here's Pelé, and he says you should vote for me. And then he says, Hey, why don't we get our Brazilian national team, which I'm the head of, to play you? Oh, wow. So it's like saying, he you know. He is the guy. Yeah. He's like, so he's doing this everywhere. He's very generous with money and to this day, no one really knows where this money came from. I'd say his mate. He's, There's a he's, few he's mates. gangster mate. Yeah. He says, hey, you delegates in Africa, you probably can't afford, can you, to go to the Congress in 74 to vote for the presidency, can you? And they're like, no, unfortunately not. And he goes, what if I paid for you to... So is this the voting procedure? You have to be at You have to physically Congress. be at the Congress, right? Yeah. So he says, why don't I uh, fly you over there and put you up and hang out and see what it's like and get to the Congress? And they're like, well, no one's offered to send us to the Congress before. Wow. Right? So he does all of this. and he's just, So he's funding the delegates' attendance. He's promised them a bigger World Cup. He's promised them all this stuff that's going to be coming along. He's bought them Pele. He's the bought them the Brazilian thing, right? He also says South Africa will never come in to FIFA while I'm president, while apartheid exists. Now, this is a massive issue in Africa, yes. right, like, rightly so. But they are, Rue's being British and colonial, he, he doesn't get why they keep banging on about this. Where Havilland gets immediately, this is a big he issue. He just says, yep, don't worry about for it. For political purposes, not for any moral. I, I think he would have done business with the apartheids if, if it had got it the, if, the, if the election math went the other way. Yeah. But he realizes I can win over Asian Africa on simply. Easy. And he, he can't understand why Rue is even pushing this, right? Sure. The secretary of the Sengal Football Association, he's in Karaya prior to the election, uh, in a meeting leading up to the election. And he says to Rue, if you're elected, can you keep South Africa after FIFA until apartheid goes down? And Rue says, I can't promise you because I follow my country, the United Kingdom. So this guy yeah, from yeah. Sengal says, well, I can't vote for you then. 
He said, I went to Havilland and said, what will you do? And he said, so long as I'm in charge and apartheid ex- still exists, South Africa will never come into FIFA. You have my vote. So he gets their vote either through paying for them to come to staff, all this. But really it's it just shows you how badly run FIFA is up until this point. It's vulnerable. It's wide yeah, open. It's wide open. He turns up at the Frankfurt Congress in 1974. They have these big congresses, FIFA. Like yes. They're like the UN ones, right, but probably more expensive. <laughs> he wins 68 to 52 on the second ballot to become president. And is this a Beat shock? Through. Is this a bombshell? It bomb is an shell? absolute is bombshell. A... This is the big bombshell in FIFA. This Size is me. the moment football globally changes. You can't – the ground zero of where we currently yeah. are, not just corruption but – just Havilland makes FIFA what it is, both the good and the bad, like yes. the, the popularity, the money, the everything he does. He's suddenly now president and his campaign platform that he said of assisting all these development nations, getting them into the World Cup, getting them money, running a bigger World Cup is going to cost more money. Funding all these teams is going to cost more money. It's all going to cost an absolute fortune. And what he's got to... Yeah, he comes and goes, well... And the problem is FIFA has no money. It has none. So he says, well, what can I do about this? Help comes to him in the person of a guy called Horse Dazzler, who's of the family that founded Adidas and is the head of Adidas at the time, and a young British advertising man named Patrick Nally. They have come to him even before he becomes president. They get word and say, you should run for president. They start to get in his ear about it. We reckon we can help you make money. And he gets very interested. They say, we reckon we can, with the World Cup and these other tournaments you're thinking of doing, bring in big corporate brands on exclusive deals and they will pump cash into soccer and then you can use those exclusive sponsorship deals that will go for years and years to run everything and deliver on all your promises. And did that ever happen? And this is what happens. We were talking about Rio earlier and you've just mentioned Adidas. This was the other extraordinary thing which underlines the power of yeah. where this is all going. Pelé is probably the greatest superstar in the history of Brazilian soccer. Is yeah, that fair? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Fair absolutely. Yet he was totally invisible during the Brazilian World Cup because his footwear, I think it was footwear. Yeah. I think the, the FIFA sponsor was Adidas. He was Puma. Yeah. So while he was there and it was incredible – it's, it's like having a reggae concert. Bob Marley. Bob Marley can't be <laughs> Can seen. Can we not and, mention Bob Marley? And I just, you understand the power yeah. of those companies and their relationship to FIFA yeah. that can exclude possibly the greatest footballer from the game. And just wipe them from in, And just yeah. erase them from, yeah. from a World Cup set in Brazil. These guys have come to Avalanche and they say, well, we can do this. Patrick Nelly, he, he'd spotted this potential to exploit these global sporting properties yes. early in the 60s. He secured investment for the Masters in snooker. He'd done the Squash World Open, one-day yep. cricket in the UK. He'd gone and sold these events to sponsors, but it was small beer, you know, like yeah. these aren't FIFA. But he was a marketing man. He knew how to negotiate with these big brands, and he kept looking at football and going, why is football not making yes. millions upon millions of dollars? At the same time, a guy called Horst Dassler, who's the chairman of Adidas, yes. now he's the son of A.D. Dassler, who's the founder of Adidas. Yep. And Adidas is a shortening of A.D. Dassler's name. A.D. Oh, AD Dass. A.D. is short for... It's been educational, yeah. this podcast today. A.D. is short for Adolf. His name was Adolf Dassler. 
<laughs> so when you're wearing Adidas, understand part of that is a shortening for Adolf. Not many Adolfs these days. Not many people. So he was German. Adolf Dassler, he, he owned a footwear company, heavily involved with the Nazis. Yep. In World War II, sure. which I think we have to do a story on Adolf Dassler down the track. He's the founder of Adidas. He had a shoe company. He split with his brother, Rudolf Dassler, over Fallout. Adolf Dassler, AD Dassler, goes and forms Adidas. Uh, his brother, uh, Rudolf, they don't talk, they fall yeah. out, founds Puma. <laughs> so that's how you get Puma. This is incredible. Yeah. So Horst is the nephew of Rudolf and the son of Adolf Dassler. He and Nally, Patrick Nally, they team up and they go to Havalanche and they say, well, we'll get you this corporate sponsorship than Herman Adams. Havalanche goes, this is the solution to all my problems. This will Here we I've, go. Like, it is like running for a country more than it is for a spoiling body. Yep. I've made all these promises. Now I need to pay for them. Yeah. So the 978 World Cup's coming up. And the model they invent is becomes ubiquitous for sport right to this day. In the mid-70s, though, it's, it's completely a revolutionary. In fact, it's seen as just crazy, right? Yes. They decide to buy from FIFA the rights to sell all the advertising sponsorship. So they give FIFA a bunch of money and then say, we and then we're it. the middleman now. We will then sell, break it up and sell it to things. And at this Who's point- Who's running this company? Patrick Nally and Horst Dassler. Right. They work together. Yes. Uh, Nally's the ad man. Um, Horst Dassler is the got Adidas. He's, he's willing to put Adidas money in and he's got all the political connections. He's- Closer to have a And they just cut a check to FIFA. They go, we'll buy it from you and then we'll sell. At that point, when FIFA played in a stadium, it was just the local ads. So this idea of we take over your stadium, you can't have any other ads. We take over everything. This is before TV rights were as big, but it was the sponsorship came first. So they say, we're going to do that. They then spend 18 months from 1974 aggressively trying to convince Coca-Cola to commit $8 million to become FIFA's first ever brand partner. Yeah with an exclusive worldwide sponsorship, which is the first ever in the history of sport, never been done before, and they pull it off. So they get $8 million for the 978 World Cup from Coca-Cola, Adidas chuck in a bunch of money as well, as, and they suddenly have this exclusive got a game thing. Going. This allows Havalanche to deliver on his pledges. So this means he can increase the size of the World Cup. He gives more births to Africa, Asia, and Oceania so they can come in. They're all happy. He gives away with this money enormous amounts of equipment, coaching, medical training. He just goes to impoverished federations. And he realizes if I give $200,000 to the French Football Association, they go to rounding error, we won't even notice it. But if I give it to Sengal, they're like, You're a good guy. This is a lot of money to us, right? So he starts doing this. It starts soaring. They then start to realize as the money starts coming from television rights and sponsorships, what Havalanche does is the way the corruption works, and you could argue it's not corruption or is corruption. Yes. So say you're the head of some small Caribbean island as Havalanche. I come to you and say, oh, I reckon you need a new training ground for the national team. And you go, oh, I think we do. And I say, well, here's $2 million for it. And you go, great. There's no oversight. There's no, I just give you the money. You might spend $200,000 putting it up and just pocket the rest or give it out to whoever you need to in your organisation. And that's how it works, right? So, And then television rights start coming in. So successful is the 978 World Cup and all these sponsorships that Dassler and Nally form a company called SMPI. Their whole thing is they offer all-inclusive sponsorship packages to multinational corporations. So they're the first ever sports marketing firm built off FIFA. They start getting more sponsorships. They bring in McDonald's, Levi Strauss. The World Cup for the next one in 982 is expanded to 24 teams. 
Africa gets an extra place. Incredible. So this is, is how they pay it all off. Nally and Horse Dazzler start to fight with each other. <laughs> and Dazzler basically forces Nally out and founds a company which becomes important, which is called International Sport and Leisure, ISL in 982. His new company, it's got a Japanese firm, Dentsu, who are a big advertising marketing yes. company, come on board. They do the same thing of paying FIFA for the rights to all the corporate, but they also buy television rights. That's the next little bit. And television rights are now becoming worth a lot of money. This has not been exploited? Ever so before. Right. They buy everything, right? So they buy from FIFA the right to sell exclusive sponsorships, sell the ads, yeah. sell the TV rights to all the networks. They get a cut of all of this. Dassler is so close to Havalange that Havalange gets him to do the same thing with the Olympics. Still got a foot in that camp. Because he's still on the IOC he, and he convinces Samaranch, oh, president God. of the IOC, to give ISL the Olympic contracts too, right? right? So by May 1985, they've got the corporate sponsorship program of the Olympics and it's awarded without any competitive bidding in fact, Nally, his former partner, isn't. he's started a, another company called West Nally Limited. They're not even allowed to put forward in it a lot of event. This is where, and it's, you know, this is where money starts getting paid to, we buy these rights, but you don't put it out for negotiation. Okay. We pay you to give it to us exclusively, right? Okay. What's really happening, and it took until 2012, so we're back in the early 80s while I'm telling this. Mm. this in 2012, it comes out that basically... ISL, this company, are bribing Avalanche to award them the exclusive rights to FIFA and the IOC. We're just going to cover FIFA today. From 1989 to 2001, ISL paid 185 million Swiss francs, which is about US dollars, 185 million US in personal commissions to sports officials and other people involved in the marketing <laughs> of sports rights for both IOC and FIFA. In 2011, a Brazilian Senate was told by Jennings or this guy who's one of the reporters that Havalanche personally had amassed about $50 million or more in bribes across his time as FIFA president and IOC. Incredible. $50 million. An IOC ethics committee. <laughs> Here we go. They were formed in June 2001 to investigate claims that Havalanche had received a bribe of $1 million. This was the IOC. not, And then yes. Havalanche resigned before that got passed down. That's when he left the IOC because this yeah. report was about to come down and say he's, it took a $1 million bribe from ISL. He said, oh, health concerns, I was high. I resigned. It was Canceling 43 years he'd been on it. That gets cancelled. I'm going to yep. hang out of FIFA. Yep, I'm uh, going to be on FIFA. But then court proceedings in Switzerland found that Havalange and his son-in-law, Ricardo Tashira, were named as beneficiaries of bribes for ISL. It was covered up at the time. And eventually came out, journalists got a suppression order lifted and it finally came out. So 2012, they're all, it's all out that they have taken a huge amount of money um, of bribes, right up to $50 million worth of money for this sport thing. So this is where FIFA changes. You've got this huge money coming in. Is there an ethics committee at There's FIFA the, at this yeah, stage? There, no, well, the ethics committee I think started like, they didn't have an ethics committee until like 2004 or something. So what happens to Havalanche? Does he get pushed or... So Havalanche never gets caught. He finishes in 1998. We'll get into how. So it's not until 2012 this all comes out. So gotcha. it comes out like 15, 14 years after he's Boy, left. After he's 90 when it happens. He died at 100, right, a few years ago. So he, he gets through most of his life. No one knows any of this, right? But $50 million worth of bribes through this. So that's how FIFA starts to become this powerhouse of money sure. and no one knows it at the time. 
Now, Havilland as president just generally, he was in office from 1974 until 1998. He was also the longest serving member of the International Olympic Committee. He resigned in December 2011 because that report was, was coming. How long was his reign? 48 years. He was on the IOC. Right. When he was like the president of FIFA, this is where he's got a very mixed reputation. Huge amount of bribery, corruption. Yes. But when he started, FIFA had fewer than 10 full-time employees. He used to say he had no more than $30 in the bank account when he took over. Yes. Had no money. That wasn't quite true. They had about $25 million in the bank, but that's peanuts compared to now. He introduced the under-20 and under-17 World Cups. He introduced the Women's World Cup, which all gave new developing countries a chance to host them to kickstart their infrastructure, but did develop those countries too. So yeah. it was always a mix, right? It was more he's blown waste. it up. He's taken it to the next level and he's raked the till at the uh, same uh, time. Uh, and some say because he raked the till so much, never did 100% of the money go where it meant. Yes. So while, yes, he might have grown all these beautiful stadiums and done all this, you know, helped poor countries out a lot, but it was with a lot of graft being taken off the top. <laughs> Plus with these big exclusive deals with the ISL and stuff, yes. he could put that out to tender and got even more money for FIFA. But instead he said, no, you, I put, yeah, less money for him. So that's how it worked. He once recounted. It's complicated. It's it's slightly complicated. He recounted that he had 8,760 days in office, 7,200 of which he said he spent away from home, 800 hours per year on planes, and a total of 288 return flights from Rio to Zurich in his time. He was known to refuse to see male visitors in his office if they were not wearing neckties. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to give you an idea of his style, at the 1994 meeting of the FIFA Executive Committee in New York, he was criticised for his – this is where he'd become a true dictator, yeah. basically. He was criticised for his allocation of appointments to FIFA's standing committees. So people weren't happy with who he put on. He said, look, I'm going to postpone this discussion about these appointments. So everyone know, okay. They thought, oh, he's going to come talk to us all about it, right? They all leave the meeting. He then distributes a list with the new composition of the committees that he wants and declares the list passed without having a vote. <laughs> he just goes, done, it's done. Uh, this is a fiefdom. Henry Kissinger. Oh, he's involved, is he? Spokesman for the US's failed bid to host the 86 World Cup. Yeah. He said he experienced Havilland's managerial style. Now, Kissinger is not exactly right. a strict clean skin. Yeah, clean skin. He said of negotiating with Havilland, he said, it made me feel nostalgic for the Middle East. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah, so this is what he's like. Throughout his presidency, deals on the scale of the entire television rights for the World Cup finals of things like for the World Cup finals of 2006, they were completed without any reference to the FIFA Executive Committee. So he just negotiated direct done. He's just stamping the stuff. Stamping stuff. So no one was a... He became so powerful in a fearsome battle between the Swiss and the French for the rights to host the 1998 World Cup. The Swiss Football Federation nominated Havilland for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> when it was announced, there was a standing ovation. Uh, what did the French have to offer? Medal the, of Honor? Or the a... French won anyway. Oh, oh, did they? Yep. We'll get into what the French have offered. Nominated for a Nobel. Yeah, he didn't win. Now we're going to have to do it on the Nobel. Even that um, sounds corrupt. <laughs> At a party in 998, he was about to step down as FIFA's president. So he's finally coming towards the end of his time there which he did pick on his own time of leaving. Yes. They asked whether he considered himself the world's most powerful man. He said, I've been to Russia twice, invited by President Yeltsin. In Italy, I saw Pope John Paul II three times. When I go to Saudi Arabia, King Faud welcomes me in splendid fashion. 
Do you think a head of state will spare that much time for just anyone? That's respect. They've got their power and I've got mine, the power of football, which is the greatest power there is. So the head of FIFA gets treated literally like bigger than most, it's like you know, country, most countries. It is a, But at the same time, he was this weird figure because he never did a lot of media and stuff like that. He spoke English. He spoke Portuguese, Spanish, French, a whole bunch of yeah. He spoke English pretty well, but he never spoke it publicly because he liked to have an air of mystique about him. And English is such a common language. It was like yeah. people didn't. But he was once asked in 1995, he was criticized for visiting Nigeria because at the time there was a prominent dissident there um, who was about to be executed. Right. He visited anywhere and he was asked, you know, what do you think of visiting Nigeria the time they're about to execute this guy? And he said, I don't want to make any comparisons with the Pope, but he is also criticized from time to time and his reply is silence. I am too sometimes criticized. So explanations about such matters are superfluous. <laughs> End of conversation. Me now, and the Pope yeah. choose not to talk about we just, we, such yeah, matters. We're above earthly we matters are. like this. So in conclusion for Havilland, the important bit is it's approaching 1998. He's announced he's going to finish up and there's going to be an yeah. election for a new president. If we go back when Coca-Cola first comes on board, when Nally and Horst bring on Coca-Cola for $8 yes. million, you got to remember, by the time it gets to 1998, so 78's the first World Cup they sponsor. Yes. Over the next 20-odd years, Coca-Cola pumps hundreds of millions of dollars into FIFA. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, though, the first $8 million they put in there, FIFA hadn't existed really on a, on a big scale like yes. this, never handed big money. They were very nervous about handing over this money, even though Dassler and Nally are saying, give us, Runners. you know, we'll, we'll help. They were nervous because FIFA had never done it. And they said to Dassler and Nally, this is back in the 1974, we want you to find someone who can help protect our interests within FIFA. Yeah. Because it was so much money. And Dassler and Nally are going, oh, who would be good to get for that? And they said, well, I reckon someone's Swiss because, you know, they're very reputable and someone who's experienced in public relations administration yeah. would be good. Yeah. And we need someone who will travel around with Avalanche, be his right-hand man, but know to his jobs to promote soccer and Coca-Cola and Adidas. Right. We want someone who's a, an inside man for Coca-Cola mm. and Adidas. Who can we get? They looked and they found a guy who Dassler had been impressed by who's working at a, one of the Swiss watch companies. Yes. Uh, a guy by the name of Sepp Blatter <laughs> who was appointed the first oh, development baby. officer and future president and he started by joining FIFA he travelled with Avalanche on a tour of his electoral base, starting with a trip to Ethiopia on November 17, 1976. And Sepp Blatter is probably where we'll leave this episode. I'm going to stop you because right there. our next episode is Sepp Blatter, who builds on Avalanche, and he's probably one of the most entertaining and corrupt administrators. I just love his work. <laughs> Can I say what you just piqued my interest? But I. Previously never understood that he was appointed by a company. So because they're outsourcing all this, Dassler and Nally have so much power because they're bringing in the money for FIFA. Avalanche is worried about the votes of the countries. So he wants the money coming so he can keep yes. these people happy. He's promised Africa and Asia extra spots in the World Cup, which costs money, and all this gear and funding their projects and all this, and kickbacks too. Right? Yes. Dassler and Nally going, we'll get you the money. But the problem is Coca-Cola saying, Who's going to be the adult in the room at FIFA on a daily basis making sure the financial 
things are kept running this for us. This stays on the rails. And Dassler has met this young, he's not there, he's about 39 at the time, but he's had an interesting career, which we'll get into in the next episode before he joins. This makes and sense. Goes, there's this guy, Sepp Blatter. You're going to love him. <laughs> he's going to be great. And they get him on board and he joins uh, in 1976. He becomes the development officer and he tools around with Havalanche and learns at Havalanche's feet for about the next 20 years. Oh, wow. All right, hold that thought. Uh, cannot wait for the next instalment of our FIFA extravaganza. <laughs> Unbelievable. If you want more Sports Bazaar, simply go to any of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. We've got the whole lot. And we also have Bazaar Plus, our membership program, where you can get even more content. A link to that is just in the show notes. Cheers. <laughs>